Hello and welcome to Emerge, Evolve, Lead, a podcast for people in recovery from addiction who want to be better leaders. I got clean and sober when I was 24, and then I started my corporate career. After several decades, I left that job and created Emerge Leadership Academy, where I train leaders and coach people in recovery who are ready to step up in their career. My name is Maureen Ross-Gem, and I'll be your host. Hello, and welcome back to Emerge Evolve Lead. Sober since March 16th, 2009, my guest today is Isabel Wettergren. She has her master's in health and wellness psychology and is also a coach and an ambassador of mental health and well-being. And her programs help people understand their strengths and develop resilience. Welcome to the podcast, Isabel. How are you? Thank you, Maureen, for having me. I'm doing great. I love talking recovery. So this is uh, this is an honor to be on your podcast today. Thank you. I'm glad to have you. I feel the same way. I could talk about this stuff all day. So and that's what we do, right? That's why we're in this business. <laughs> right. So let's start off by um, why don't you share with our listeners a little bit about your life today, uh, a little bit about your family, your hobbies, uh, what you do for a living, that sort of thing. And then we'll get into your story after that. Yes. Uh, so I'm 50 years old. It's the halftime show for Isabel. So I'm in the midst of a career change and I'm, um, I'm swimming in uncertainties, but at the same time, I have such a deep faith for what's to come. Um, I've surrounded myself with people that inspire me and I ask for help. So those are new skills that I've learned that in recovery that really are helping me, uh, in my professional life. I have two kids, two beautiful kids. One of them is a senior. He's finishing up in uh, San Diego state. And I have also a freshman in college in San Diego as well. So, um, yeah. Are those, are they boys? My, my son is the oldest and my daughter is the youngest. Yes. I, I don't see him very often. I miss him. So I, I, you know, working is really is filling a gap <laughs> these days. I'm enjoying it. Yeah, that is good. It's empty nest a little bit, right? They don't need you at the same level anymore. All right. So that sounds great. Um, so tell me, what was the career that you were in and what are you co- transitioning into? Yeah, so I've been an educator in the K through 12 public schools in California for for a number of years, for over 20 years. And in 2014, I started to to dabble into workplace wellness, and I really discovered a passion there. And fast forward to uh, 2019, I met uh, Dr. Jean LaCour and Cheryl Brown Merriweather at a um, conference, the National Wellness Institute conference, and they were there to pilot a new program. And it was love at first sight. And my career just took off uh, from that moment on. So I'm still I'm transitioning out of teaching, really wanting to make an impact in the workplace, increasing awareness about uh, addiction, but mainly recovery. What can recovery people in recovery do with their careers? 
Oh, that's so good. That's so good. Yes. And that's a little bit about what I'm doing, even with this podcast, helping people to, to realize that all of the skills that we learn in recovery have so much need to be in the workplace. Right. And, and a lot of that translates into leadership skills as well, so, uh, which is why I'm doing all this. So, all right, but let's talk, let's go back a little and talk about your story. Isabel, how did you figure out that you had a problem with, uh, I don't know, drugs, alcohol, whatever your addiction is. And how did you decide that you needed help and get into, got into recovery? What happened? Yeah, for me, it was a little bit of a challenge to even identify because I didn't fit the stereotypical, I didn't have the stereotypical consequences of being incarcerated, DUI, losing a job. I didn't have any of that to the eyes of the outside world. Like seriously, Isabel was living a fairy tale life. Mm -hmm. And, but inside I was like really dying and considering suicide in fact. Uh, So, um, so that's where uh, there was an event that happened in the spring of 2007 that really transformed the way that I drank. I used to drink like socially and for fun, like be a fun person. But after that event that I'm not going to share with your audience because that's for my secret garden. Uh, but my drinking and my use of marijuana became my coping skill. Right. We had some sort of trauma. That's correct. And yep. then it just allowed me to get through the day. And, um, and then it was uh, fast forward to, you said I was sober until 2009, but it was really 2008. Oh, <laughs> I got the, I got the, the number I wrong. I sent but... you the wrong information, baby. After, <laughs> you know, a few years, anyway, I, but you know what? Every day counts. So take <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So at the end of 2007, I was, um, I was determined to drink like um, it was um, December 31st. And I was like, I'm just gonna uh, go all out. And then tomorrow I'm going to stop, stop drinking January 1st, 2008. Everything's going to be fine. And I really partied hard on December 31st, 2007. And I woke up at 6am total hungover January 1st, 2008. And the first thing that I know, I had already done three shots of tequila and I had a joint in my mouth at 6 a.m. And I was uh-huh. like, this yeah. is crazy. And that kind of kept going until uh, March 16th, 2008, mm-hmm. um, where I just admitted defeat. Yep. So it brought you to a place where you knew that either you were going to do something to harm yourself or... Yep. Uh, and you just couldn't cope anymore, even with all of the escaping. Um, that's what happens, right? It just doesn't work anymore. And the pain is too great to keep continue to do it. So how did you surrender? Did you reach out for help? What happened? Yes, for me, it was, uh, it was through a show, uh, Celebrity Rehab. So I was suffering from insomnia. And um, I turned on the television and uh, it was Celebrity Rehab that was on the show and it was someone talking about how miserable they felt. I could totally relate. And then yeah. there was another person talking about how great they felt and I wanted what she had. Um, so for me, that was kind of the, the moment where I was like, Oh my gosh, I, I got to do something. And um, I ended up uh, making an appointment with a therapist who was really kind, really, really gentle. And uh, he guided me in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous 
Um, and I haven't had a, a drink since. Oh, so for, for me, the 12 steps have uh, been um, my saving grace. That's been your path. Yeah. I too yeah. Um, got in, in that, in that regard. And, and, you know, when you go every day, it really does just reprogram so much of our beliefs on the daily habits. And even when we're craving, we know that oh, I can make it, I can make it to the end of the day. I can make it till tomorrow. Right. Did yeah. the cravings leave you right away or did you continue to fight for a little while? And what, what helped? What was the reason for um, your success? Why haven't you not drank yet again? I, I think it's the, the, the fellowship, like the people knowing that I'm not alone. Yeah. Knowing that I, I'm not alone. My story is unique, but not that unique. There's so many people that have a similar story. So I felt like an immediate uh, connection, uh, a sense of hope. Uh, you know, people share so generously about how they're feeling, but they also share about their tools. So that's how really um, I, I had a hammer for everything. So I, mm -hmm. I live life very angry. And yeah. when it's time to, to change a window and all you have is a hammer in your toolbox, it's not very convenient. So I <laughs> uh, kind of expanded my horizon. And then I became really curious about, you know, what is mindfulness? What is breath work? What is uh, so other areas that um, that I really got curious. But at first I needed to just um, address the drinking and right. the using. that first year, you know, or even two, right. When we get, begin to wake up and we do the steps and we, um, we really learn that, um, it's not, I'm not alone and all that we can connect and we get all of these other tools, but then everything expands. Like people that you meet, bring you to meditation groups or, or you just start searching on the internet and you find all these other kind of spiritual programs. So one of the things I talk about as far as the leadership goes is personality. I love talking about people's personalities. So I know that you're still, you were still in the school system at this time, but you obviously got involved because I see here that you are Let's see, you have a bachelor's degree in kinesthesiology and a master's in health and wellness psychology, plus you're a national board certified health and wellness coach. You're a certified professional <laughs> recovery coach. You're a certified wellness practitioner and a certified facilitator in addiction awareness. Now that is an overachiever, Isabel. So <laughs> you're not alone in that either because I did the same thing. I, I've gotten a lot of, uh, not different certifications, but I went back, got my degree in psychology and then my master's degree and I've been coaching and I, I'm just constantly um, learning and growing because now it's personal growth, right? And how can I contribute? So how did your personality change uh, from, you know, from before you were an, you know, an addict or whatever, and then, and in, in recovery? Yeah, I, I must say that you're listing all these certifications and part of me is a little bit embarrassed because I'm like, okay, girl, you know, you just got, got to do the work now, right? It's like, stop proving yourself. I mean, that's one thing that has really, really changed is stop trying to prove yourself, right? You have the credential, you have the certification, and now it's time to do the work. So, um, so I found a lot of courage. Uh, that's one of the things that happened yeah. in terms of personality change. I found the courage to, uh, to make amends to people, to own up to my responsibility. And when you're talking about like um, people being managers and leaders, 
you know, having the courage to say, you know what, I'm sorry, I was wrong. That, that was something I shouldn't have said. Uh, and I'll make it up to you. You know, that really proves a lot of character. So I've, I I want to say that that has really changed in me. Uh, my ability to forgive some traumatic events that has happened in my early childhood, I mean, throughout my lifetime, that has been tremendous. Uh, I have more of an open mind to, um, to the world and other people. And if I, if I can may share a story, I was on a plane once and I was in early sobriety and I was going on a vacation. So therefore in my head, in my mind, unconsciously, everybody is traveling because they're going on a vacation. (laughs) But then we you start listening about conversations. Someone's going to a funeral. Someone's going for a job interview. Someone is going to, uh, you know, to, to finance a home. So everybody has a different, but in my mind, my mind was so narrow, so narrow. And now I have an open mind and I'm becoming really more curious yeah, about well, clearly. everyone that I meet. Yeah, not just about, uh, yes, yeah, I, I love that. Um, but yeah, I see what you're saying. It's like we have this myopic or these blinders on that it's all about me. And really yeah. the world evolves around me. That's when we, um, it's not just closed mindedness, but it's unconsciousness. It's unconscious, really. You think yes. you're the only one and we're victims and all that. And then when we raise our consciousness level and we look around and we begin to get any kind of enlightenment, we're like, wow, everybody has a story. I'm not the only yeah. one. <laughs> yeah. Everybody then- has a story and I love listening to them. Yeah. Yeah. And then I want more enlightenment. <laughs> because it feels so great. Oh yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, mm-hmm. Because it just brings joy and happiness. And when you find that within, because out, I don't know about you, but for me, it was like, I was always looking for happiness outside myself. I was looking yep. to stuff the pain, to mask the pain. And that's why we drink and use, right? Because we just don't want to deal with our sadness and our grief and our trauma. But once we face that and we get past it, that's where we start overcoming our fears. We have that courage to step forward. And it sounds to me though, like you already have been uh, a person in life who values learning because here you are in the school system. So you went to college to begin with, right? And then, you know, you were a pretty normal drinker until something happened. And that a lot of times that's what happens or it's the something that happens that scares us straight too. You know, sometimes it's like some people have to lose everything and others, it's just a small uh, awakening or it's a small going down into the depths of despair. And then suddenly one day feeling like, no, I'm done. I don't need, I'm not going to do this anymore. So tell me um, in your career and as you've been going out and getting into these wellness programs, because you know, when you say, well, I did all this and then you do the work, but this is a lot of the work. When you dive in and you take all of these courses, you're constantly looking at yourself. You're working on yourself. You're doing deeper inventories and you're understanding other people right in the industry so what do you love so much about being like sort of an ambassador of the mental health and wellness programs and and yeah what does that bring into your life so maureen thank you for asking that question because it it's it's kind of my purpose now when um when i was at my lowest point in my life and i was contemplating suicide 
I had no one to turn to. I have no one to talk to, not a colleague, not a friend. I didn't want to worry my family. So I was just suffering alone. And now I make, I, I really, I feel like my calling is to be that person for others. Be that person that people can reach out to. Hey, you know, I, I might be drinking too much, but I have no idea. I, I got no idea what's going on. Or I have a spouse. I have a child. You know, I, I feel like the silence of this epidemic is needs to, to stop. And for me, uh, the 12 step, we talk about um, the, what is it? The confidentiality, I'm not supposed to say. But I must say that my recovery today is my gift to someone else. I, I mean, it will. So you're talking about anonymity as opposed to confidentiality, because confidentiality yeah, is super important, right? You know, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. so yeah, <laughs> I <laughs> just want to clarify. Was the word that was, yeah, yeah. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. For we don't need that. to hide anymore because we need to be the light for other people so that they know they don't have to be alone. And Maureen, right now we've, we've gone through the pandemic for two years. It's been excruciatingly painful. And now we have the financial and the war. I mean, days are, it's not getting any brighter. So it's important, it's, it's, it's a mission for us that have the light inside of us to shine it onto others. Right. That whole mindset that you just said of, I don't know about you, but I didn't have any, I didn't have those problems in the pandemic. I, I'm like, I'm happy. I'm fine at home. I, I went through that, no problem. But I can't, I can tell you that every day I woke up and I said, Oh my God. Cause you heard about it, right? You heard about the people that were suffering. And I just thank God that I was sober, that I did not have to be in lockdown and feel like, you know, I was absolutely alone. I have the tools to deal with all of whatever is going to happen. I heard that actually that of course they closed all the bars and restaurants probably, but this is another reason why, but the, that the package store or, or liquor store, sales increased across the country 450% during COVID because that's the only thing that people had. And that was deemed an essential service. They could not close those liquor stores because this is how so many people are getting through stuff. I just hated that. I, I mean, it just is so sad to think that this of the suffering that's going on out there and we have a solution, right? We yeah, have a solution. Yeah. And Maureen, I'd like to also uh, broaden the uh, the addiction field. Also, You're, we're we're talking about uh, alcohol, but like pornography. Oh yeah, online pornography off the chart right now. That that has really gone way up. Gambling, online yep. gambling. You know, these online are, shopping, uh, online shopping, online oh, gambling. What about and eating? Made, <laughs> oh my goodness! Yeah, like. Yes. So what, what we're facing is really an inability to cope. The people that are, don't have tools, yeah. we're facing an inability to cope. And then you go into the workplace and you're bringing these unsharpened tools or those rusted tools. So that's why I, that's why I like to come in and, and just say like, it's, it's inside of you. Let's just sharpen. Let me teach you how to use that breath of yours. Let me teach you yeah. how to use that mindfulness exercise, you know, because it's already in you. It's just a matter of 
of turning it on or, you know, giving you a manual, like this is how it works. It's so easy. But it's not just the manual, is it? It's the experience. People need to experience it to really get it. Because even though we knew that we needed help, we couldn't get out of our own head until we experienced some of it. Once you start going into the program and you experience that connection that you have with people, then you, you're like, yeah, I want more of this. It's like anything else. But unfortunately, we keep di diving, some people diving deeper into the porn or into the gambling or into that, that neurological fix, but it's so temporary. It's so temporary. So what are some of the tools that you teach in the workplace now, Isabel, in, is in regards to mindfulness? Uh, yeah. So it's not just teaching. It's really, for, for me, what I like to do is to, um, to go into an organization and have them look at recovery as um, to incorporate recovery to celebrate the people that are in recovery to make sure that they feel included right it's the mm. diversity equity and inclusion i like to uh to challenge organizations you know sometimes i'll ask you know what's the role of alcohol in your workplace and be like well nobody's drinking on the job no okay <laughs> so when you have so they think bar, right but that's the limited mind right when you have open bar at your events how do you think that someone in recovery feels? And I'm not just talking about the people in recovery, the people that don't drink, right? Are they feeling included or do they have access to Sprite and Coke? Right. Because that's often the case. Do you have like a mocktail station? How nice, how neat it would be, you know, for the people that are pregnant, the people that don't like the taste of alcohol, the people that don't drink for religious reason or medical reason and people in recovery. Like how do these people feel included? So that's really what I, I like to, to challenge organization to, to look at and develop a, um, a recovery friendly workplace, recovery supportive. Workplace. I love it. Yeah. And if you think of Salesforce, they started with four. I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but Salesforce has this, uh, this sober force, sober force started with four people. Now like a thousand people. Yeah. Right? I actually yeah. interviewed, uh, Marin Nelson, Marin Nelson on my podcast way back. Uh, I don't know a while back. So yeah, she told us all about sober force. I was like, oh, if we could have had that at my place of business, that would have been awesome. Yes. There were, there were AA meetings actually. But they were, you know, hush hush, and nobody knew. And you know, uh, you you'd have to really reach out to EAP and ask them to even find out where they were. There was nothing that you know was like that helped people to get there if they wanted to, because it was still a stigma. Right, and AA that's one thing, but there's so many other ways to know. get sober. Right, I'm a Indeed. certified professional recovery coach, and you know, working one-on-one -on -one with a coach that, that is really, really helpful. That's um, yeah, very powerful. It's the spectrum of sobriety. We have the sober curious people that are just out there to ask questions and just meeting people where they're at. But your point is, I think that our society has been so 
alcohol focused and driven. And like, this is the way that we have fun. This is the way that we have happy hours. This is the way that we're going to quote, reward you either that or with like donuts and pizza, which isn't really good for you either. So (laughs) there's a lot of these uh, cultures of, of using and all that, which does exclude a lot of people, not just the people in recovery right? It, people who just don't want to partake of that sort of thing. So yeah, that's, that's really good. Yeah. I'm so glad that you're doing that. And there are some industries that have, you know, the industries with the highest rates, like sales, entertainment, mm-hmm. hospitality, construction, you know, and when you look at the the price tag, and that's kind of the, the certified facilitator in addiction awareness uh, program that, um, that I'm training folks on, you know, you're looking at the cost in the workplace. What is the cost in the workplace? It's more than just absenteeism, people not showing up for work. You know, oh, it's, it's huge accidents on the job. It's uh, loss of focus, loss, loss of focus, loss of productivity, um, injuries on the job. I mean, name it. It, it. The the price is exorbitant. Yeah, I totally. And to agree. keep to keep someone in sobriety. For someone who is in sobriety, if uh, an organization goes and they do everything they do to support and keep that person in recovery, they save on average $8,500 for keeping one employee in recovery on average. Wow. That's some pretty interesting research. Yeah. So, so is it worth, you know, having someone like me to come and do an addiction awareness, you know, training? maybe quarterly and having some breath work, some mindfulness activities, that kind of thing, like really uh, building the recovery capital, if you will, like looking at what someone in recovery does and taking these tools and just teaching them in the workplace. It's totally worth it. That sounds so cool. So how do you do that? Like, do you go into organizations and set up like sober force kind of groups or, or just do like uh, lunch and learn programs? What do you do? That's, I, I start with the lunch and learn, and I've, I've learned that uh, there's still a lot of stigma attached to, to the word addiction. So I still, I'm still looking for the perfect catchphrase for my workshops, um, because if you say addiction awareness, people kind of recoil. Well, it's true. Like even right now for my podcast, I want to go out onto LinkedIn and I want to tag like all my friends, but I, I feel like I can't tag people because then I'm calling them out or I might be, they might be still anonymous or, you know, it's so hard to know. We we really are kind of in a transition phase right now um, with all of this. Yeah. Yeah. And it's discovering like the shatterproof terminology like what to use so that people you don't turn off people and you attract people so healthy coping skills is kind of how I talk about it and throughout the presentation I'll throw in a little bit about uh, recovery and um, how to get help too I bet there's probably some people who really do need it that would like to get it yes yeah. Yes. And working with the, so my, my ideal clients are really HR and EAPs, employee yep. assistance programs. Yeah. 
Perfect. Awesome. Well, Isabel, I am so glad that you are doing these kinds of things in the workplace. We really, really do need more programs uh, like it out there. And there's so many that will be inspired to not be so in hiding and will be able to help even more. Is there anything else that you'd like to say or share uh, with our listeners before we wrap up and please tell them how to reach you? Yeah. So for me, what has really changed, I, I came out, if you will, uh, I, I came out publicly about being in recovery at the beginning of the pandemic, because I knew that shit was about to hit the fan. Right. And people needed to hear about stories of people in recovery, they really needed that. So that's, I needed to quiet my voice. I really needed. What are people going to think? What are people going to say? I find it to have been the most liberating thing that I've ever done was to come out and share my story, strength, and hope, and how I've overcome um, addiction. That is the one thing I find it extremely liberating. And everybody does it on their own terms. Some people are going to remain anonymous um, for the rest of their life. And that's fine. For me, it was an important thing to do. The best way to reach me is via LinkedIn. Yeah, I want to say I have a website, LinkedIn, you know, I put that right in the show notes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's, that's my favorite uh, method, because then I get to find out who you are, what you do, how can we support, how can we connect better. So, and that's how I found you. So there's some gems out there on LinkedIn. (laughs) Yes, there are. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I really, um, I just want to applaud you for all the great work you're doing and yeah, let's, let's take on, let's keep shining our light. Exactly. Thank you so much. If you like this podcast, please subscribe, leave a review, and share it with your friends. You can visit us at EmergeLeadershipAcademy.com to take the quiz to find out what animal best represents your leadership style. And until next week, remember, you have so many leadership skills that you learned in recovery. Stop hiding because your contribution matters. 